there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Our scripture reading from tonight will be from the book of Exodus, chapter 32. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn with me. Verse 1 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make God's Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. It was 1979 when Bob Dylan, uh, if any of y'all are familiar with Bob Dylan, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of this past century and even bridging into this one, he wrote a song that would eventually give him the Grammy for greatest rock vocalist from a male lead in the year 1979. And it was a song that was entitled, Gotta Serve Somebody. Now, Bob Dylan, he's a complex figure. He was back then, he is to this day, and it's hard to peg where he actually is spiritually, but at this time in his life, uh, it was widely known that he was a believer in Jesus. And this was a gospel album, a heavy blues uh, influence that was coming in on this, and rock influence that was coming in on this. And in this particular track, he's going through and he is highlighting in a matter of five, six verses, it's a longer, longer song, he is highlighting all of the different areas, arenas of life that people occupy. And then in the chorus, the refrain comes up again and again, you got to serve somebody. Well, the message of this song didn't resonate with everyone. Not everybody liked it. Uh, chief among them being John Lennon from the Beatles. Uh, John Lennon despised this song and actually in a way that like, I don't know really what was going on around then, but like there was a diss track that was going out from John Lennon to Bob Dylan. And in contrast to his song that said, Gotta Serve Somebody, John Lennon wrote a song, Gotta Serve Yourself. And in it, uh, it gets pretty profane, vulgar with language, and going down and really trying to rip this message of the song that Bob Dylan was sharing to shreds. But 
Bob Dylan, as he was writing this song, it's resonated with people over the decades. It's been recorded many, many times, uh, probably most famously and most recently by the trio of Jamie Johnson, Chris Stapleton, Willie Nelson, Leanne Womack at a little studio right up the road in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And this song, just millions of hits on YouTube. Everybody has been in the know for this song. And with Bob Dylan saying, no matter what area... No matter what arena of life that you might be in. He, he says this, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread, you might be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you are going to have to serve somebody. Because what Bob Dylan realized at this season in his life, and the truth that has been passed on through this particular song, is this. That we are all worshipers. We are all worshipers. It's in our very nature to be able to worship something or someone. Now we know in the way that the Lord has so created us that we were created originally to worship him. That our worship was supposed to be directed towards him. But now... Because of the result of the fall, and we'll get into this in just a little bit, but as a result of the fall, now our worship is misdirected, misapplied, and it is going towards any and every other object other than that which it was originally intended. And so we are all worshipers. Like, and it's something we, can, we don't need a Bob Dylan song to be able to tell us about, but we see it in our own lives. I see it in the life of my son, Thomas, who a lot of you know, like... He's very much like me in a lot of ways. He just gets latched on to certain things, uh, kind of borderline obsessive. Like, I mean, he just wants to learn everything about this one particular thing. Uh, most recently, it's superheroes and Legos. And so like, we're going through, and he just is fully giving himself to these particular things. But we do this in other arenas of life, don't we? Maybe you've been really wrapped up in a relationship with another person and it's bridged into the arena of infatuation that you could not see yourself without this other person. That maybe if someone were to say that you're worshiping the very ground that that person walks on, we'd bristle up a little bit. But if we really stop and think about it a little bit, it might just be true. Or maybe you're giving yourself fully into your degree program and you are just chasing after any and every bullet point that you can put on that mile-long resume. And as you're going through and as you're trusting in your performance, as you're trusting in your accolades, as you're trusting in your awards, as you're trusting in those numbers that, or the, getting the letters after your name, that we can worship these things and we are giving ourselves. Because you see, as worshipers, we worship that which we love, trust, and obey supremely. We worship that which we love, trust, and obey supremely. And we were created to love and trust and obey the Lord of all creation. But instead, there has been an exchange. And now we worship idols. You can worship one of two things. Like, you know, everybody's talking about like, there are only two kinds of people in this world. And then afterwards, it's something super ridiculous. But I can truly say this based on the authority of God's word. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who worship the Lord 
and those who worship idols. You can worship the true and living God, or you can worship idols. Well, what is this? What does it mean to worship the one true living Lord? We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. The Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is where our love, our trust, our obedience is supposed to be put. It's supposed to be put in all of our might. It's supposed to be put towards the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. The one true living God. But there has been an exchange that has taken place. And that no longer are we worshiping the Lord. That's not our default any longer. We're still worshiping, but the object has changed. And now we are worshiping idols. And so we really have to ask the question, I mean, here at the outset of this series, like, well, what is an idol? Like a lot of times, maybe for us, we think that, oh, well, we would just want to keep it far out there. We just want to keep it removed. We want to keep it distant. Like the idols, oh, yeah, that's the, the little statues, or maybe a big statue. Like it's the graven images, the things that are put up all over the place. And like my mind does go to that. Uh, I was uh, leading a mission trip to Toronto a few years ago. We were working with an international mission board missionary up there. And as we were there serving, we were going around to different unreached people groups that are within that multicultural city. And we went to a Muslim mosque. We went to a Sikh Gudwara. We went to a Hindu temple. And it was at the Hindu temple that a lot of our students were just most deeply affected like we went into the morning ceremony where they played the music and then where they began to wake up their gods. And where they went around and opening up the cabinets for their gods to be able to peer in to see the people worshiping. We went to an adjacent corridor and we saw a golden snake that was in a small pool of sorts with toddlers dancing around with small glasses of milk that they would pour on the cobra's head as it ran down its back. Like I've seen idol worship. I've seen graven images that people are giving their love and their trust and their obedience to. But you see, if that's all that we think idols are, then we're in danger of thinking that it's just something that's out there and it's not something that's in here. We might be thinking, oh, well, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't go around opening up cabinets. I don't go around pouring uh, shot glasses of milk on anything. Like, I, I don't go around doing this. That. I don't have a small statue. I don't have a pantheon erected in my closet, this, that, or the other. You might not have any of those things, but Scripture says that the idols aren't just something that's out there, but it's actually something that's in our hearts. We see this right here. Ezekiel chapter 14. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Or Martin Luther would say this in his larger catechism, the great 15th, uh, 1500s reformer. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. It is wherever your worship, whatever your love, your trust, your obedience is ultimately given to, that is what you are worshiping. And it's one of two things. It's God or it's something else. And that something else, biblically, is an idol. And the thing about it is, it's not just bad things. But more often than not, it's actually a good thing. You see, oftentimes an idol was put to me this way by my college minister many years ago. That an idol is when you take a good thing and make it a God thing, and that's a bad thing. An idol is when you take a good thing, you make it a God thing, and that's a bad thing. It's a good that becomes a God in your life. 
It doesn't have to be just that which is out there, other. It doesn't have to be a small statue. It doesn't have to be a pantheon. But it is something that we set up in our hearts, that we look to, that we love, that we trust, that we obey, that we give ourselves to. Why? Because these idols, they make promises to us. But you, the thing about it is, these idols, they can't deliver. And so the promises are actually lies. And it's actually a lot like, uh, I don't know if any of y'all, if I have any student class presidents or vice presidents in the room from high school or anything like that. Uh, like, you remember the days when you were going through? I don't know if they still did these kind of assemblies and everything when y'all, like when I was in middle school or like when I was in high school, and where people would actually come and where they would stand up on the platform and they would give the speech. And, you know, you had the person that was up there throwing out the softer rolls of toilet paper, right? And they're like, I promise we're going to get two-ply in all the bathrooms, Something like that, or you're like, we're going to get better vending machines, like, in the cafeteria. Or, hey, we're going to go. This five-day school week, done with that. We're going all the way down to three. We're going all the way down to three. And so, like, you have these people that are up there, and you're like, I mean, can they really be saying this? Can they really be doing this? No! They can't do this, but they're up there making promises. And you think, the thing about it is that the promises that these idols make are a lot like the promises of a naive, idealistic, out-of-touch high schooler that is talking a big game but that can never deliver. And these are what we give ourselves to. These are what we put all of our love, our trust, and our obedience in that these idols, they deal in lies. And that's the exchange rate that's coming right here. We exchange the glory of God. We exchange the worship of God for the worship of the creation. This is what happened in the garden. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 3. You look at what's happening right there. Man and woman in the garden, in fellowship, perfect communion with God. Nothing standing in between. But what happens? There's an exchange that takes place. The word of God for the word of the serpent. The provision of God for the promise of knowledge. The worship of God for the worship of self. Because what does the serpent say to the man and woman? Oh, God doesn't want you to eat that. Because he knows the second that you eat that, that you'll be like him. Knowing the difference between good and evil. And when Eve saw the fruit, and that it was to make one wise, to make her like God... She took, she ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate as well. That there was this exchange that took place. That's why a lot of people, and as I'm having conversations with folks, they're like, y'all, they just ate an apple. I'm like, first, we don't know that it was an apple. Second, there was so much more that was going on in that action. It wasn't just that their teeth broke the skin of a piece of fruit, but that their hearts had displaced God and they had put themselves up on the throne. There was an exchange that had taken place. We also see it in the wilderness. God, he didn't abandon his people. He said, one day, hey, the seed of the woman, there's, he's going to come. And the way this is going to come is going to come through a family. And he calls out Abraham. He has son Isaac, son Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, the nation of Israel. They go into Egypt. And then they are enslaved. 400 years of history wrapped up in a manner of three sentences. But then they are delivered. They go out into the wilderness. And they are not 
too far removed from seeing the Red Sea split and them walk through on dry ground only to turn around and to see all of their enemies utterly drowned in the sea. That they are out in the wilderness. Moses is up on Mount Sinai and they're just there waiting. They're waiting. Moses is up there for 40 days. But what happens in the passage that Cole read for us? We see this in Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, All right, I mean, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We see right here they use the provision of God in profane worship. These people were enslaved in the land of Egypt. They had nothing. But we read in Exodus chapter 12, 20 chapters before this very one, that as they had been, Passover was done, they were getting ready to go towards the Red Sea. As they go on the way out, what happens? The Egyptians give them gold and silver. The Lord, He helps them to plunder The Egyptians, and as they're going out, they take this provision that was supposed to be used. In the very, as Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he is getting instructions for the tabernacle, the moving temple that was supposed to accompany them through the wilderness. And they were supposed to use this in service and in worship to God, but rather they took that and they used it in profane worship. It was taking a little bit too long. They're no longer worshiping God, but they are worshiping the gold that he gave them in a different form. There was an exchange that took place. And it's something that a guy named Ephraim, the Syrian church father from the 300s, this is what he said. The absence of Moses gave Israel the opportunity to worship openly what they had already been worshiping in their hearts. We see this happening all the time. The gifts that God has given us, that we know the provision that he's given us, We don't use them in service to him. We don't use them in worship to him. But we use them to turn around and we actually worship the gifts rather than the giver. We actually set these up to build our own little kingdom rather than working for his. And that right here, the people, they forgot the Lord and they said, This is the God. These are the gods that brought us out of the land of Egypt. They said to Aaron in verse 1, make gods who shall go before us. So they're wanting gods that will lead them on. But not only are they wanting gods that will lead them on, but do you see what happens in verse 4? And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They are retroactively giving credit for their deliverance from slavery to these gods, to this golden calf. They are reimagining the past And they are looking for something to lead them on through the wilderness. And what happens? Aaron just does it. Bring me the gold that the Lord had given you. I'm going to make this calf. I'm going to set it up. 
They say, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. But then look what Aaron does in verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He uses the covenant name of God right here. And you see, this is the most dangerous type of worship of all. Because it is mingling truth with straight up error. With falsehood. You see, you can't just slap God's name on something and call it holy. You can't slap God's name on the Republican Party and call it holy. You can't slap God's name on the Democratic Party and call it holy. You can't slap God's name on your culturally conditioned ideas of masculinity and femininity and call it holy. You can't slap God's name on monogamous homosexual unions and call it holy. You can't slap God's name on anything that you want to advance from an agenda or from your preference and call it holy. But this is our impulse that Aaron right here, he's doing like all of us that we see, okay, well, maybe something's not exactly right, but I want my cake and I want to eat it too. And where I'm going to put God's name, I'm going to slap it on right here. But just because we put God's name on something doesn't mean that it's right. But in doing this, what it's showing us that idol worship is using the gifts of God not to love and trust and obey the Lord, but actually to love and trust and obey ourselves. You see, it's like there was a time... I was 12-ish, somewhere around that. Not quite a teenager or anything yet. I couldn't, definitely couldn't drive. It was my mom's birthday. Her birthday's in March. And uh, so it was a time that my dad and I, we went to Walmart, which we never liked to do. I mean, we just, we, I could never find anything in any of the stores that we're going to. But like, it was my mom's birthday, and he was like, all right, well, it's time for us to go get your mom a present. And I'm going to get her a present, and I want you to get her a present. And I was like, okay, this is great. I'll pick something up. But my dad, I think, you know, as I was growing, as I was maturing, he was wanting to give me just a little bit more autonomy. He was wanting to give me just a little bit more freedom. And so what he did was he said, all right, Blake, so I'm going to go find something, and then I'll meet you up here by the claw machine. I love the claw machine. And I was like, okay, meet you there. And he's like, here's a $20 bill. I want you to go find something for your mom, and then I want you to pay for it, and then I want you to meet me up by the claw machine. I was like, okay. And so I go around, and I'm like, you know, I'm 12. Like, I maybe got one of these bad boys at birthday or something, different things like that. And, but I didn't see, you know, Mr. Jackson very much. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really liking the feeling of this money right here in my hands. And so I go through, and I'm starting to concoct a plan in my 12-year-old brain. And I'm like, hmm, I could spend all $20 of this on a birthday gift from my mom, but like, I just walked down the aisle and I saw, you know, that kind of little island of items and everything like that. And there was just a great deal on this picture frame. $3.99. Man. You know what my mom would really like? I I think mom would really like a picture of me to put in her office. I, I just really think that that would brighten her day. Um, I think she'd be able to talk about it with all of her coworkers as they came by her office. Like, hey, look at my son. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. He got me this great picture frame. You like it? Um, and so I was like, you know, I, I think I'm going to buy that picture frame. And then I'm going to like go to Walgreens and spend like 
72 cents to get a picture printed. And uh, mom is going to come out with just an incredible gift that she absolutely loves. And I'm going to be able to pocket the remaining 17 or $16. And so I go and I buy the sucker. Like, I go up, I give the 20 to the cashier lady. I was had to see Mr. Jackson go, but she gave me some more in return. And I went and met my dad by the claw machine. And then I showed dad, and I thought he'd be really proud. And then he got the bag, and then he looked at the receipt. And he knew what I had done. I didn't come with the change in hand. But I had taken the gift of being able to give my mother a gift and instead tried to turn it back and use it to serve myself. And to be able to use it to advance my own agenda. My own preferences. What I truly wanted. And rather than loving and serving my father by loving and serving my mother. I chose to love and serve myself. There was this exchange that took place. It happened in the garden. It happened in the wilderness. And it happens in our own lives. It's not something that just stays in the pages of Scripture. We are in the same place as Israel. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, New Testament now, the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 10, this is what he says. He is writing about this very Exodus 32 golden calf scenario. This is what he says. Now these things that we've been talking about, they took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. The Apostle Paul is saying, like, this is written down. Like, that should be flashing lights. Pay attention. This is for you. I hear people all the time talking about, I don't see how Scripture connects to my life. I don't figure out how it can apply to me. This is how. This it was written down for your instruction. Because we all, it is my assumption and the assumption of Scripture that everyone in this room, myself included, has idols erected in their lives. And the Lord wants to do something about it. You see, with Israel, they were delivered and in the wilderness until they got to the promised land. And now we here in the church, we are delivered from sin, death, and the devil because of the finished work of Christ at the cross and the empty tomb. But we are in the wilderness wanderings until we get to the new heavens and the new earth And we are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. We are prone even now to exchange the worship of God for lesser things. Maybe you've been delivered, but now you're in the wilderness and you have started to serve other gods. You need to see the futility of trying to serve these other gods. Maybe you're worshiping the God of self-image. Maybe you are constantly obsessing about how others perceive you. That you have different metrics that you use, whether that's the ratio of people that follow you to you following on Instagram or TikTok, or how many views that you're constantly getting, you're accounting the likes. Or maybe it's in interpersonal relationships, you can actually manipulate people to need you. And you can come in, you can sweep in, you can save the day, you can help. But when you don't get the recognition or the adulation, then you start to lash out and you wonder, why am I even doing this? 
Maybe you're worshiping the God of the future. Maybe you think that the next season of life will deliver you from the pain that you're experiencing right now. So you plan and you dream and you worship the God of the future only to produce discontent in this current season. There's nothing wrong with being around other people and wanting to serve them and wanting to help. There's nothing wrong with wanting to plan and wanting to dream and wanting to see what could be. But when you make that the ultimate, when you, that is the thing that you are bowing down to and that you are leveraging all of your resources for, then that has become an idol in your life. And the Lord wants to tear you down. Maybe it's the idol of pleasure. Maybe you're chasing the next adrenaline high. Maybe you're chasing the next shot of dopamine in your brain. Maybe you're constantly going into incognito browser mode. Maybe you're always indulging in a little bit of retail therapy. Maybe you're going over here, you're constantly chasing the next adventure. You're doing any and everything that you can to get that rush. You are turning to substances. You are turning to other things to be able to bring enjoyment or to numb pain. We are Israel in this story. We all erect idols in our lives. And so God, help us. Help us to heed your instruction to change the narrative about our lives. We do this because we listen to the promises. Which are actually lies. And we love the vision of the future that it can paint for us. And we say, I want that. And, but maybe you don't like being duped or hoodwinked. You're like, I don't, I don't appreciate being lied to. I want to, how do I fix this, Blake? Well, the thing about it is, we cannot fix these in our own strength. We cannot tear down these idols on our own. It's much in the same way of how you can't actually tip a cow. Right? We were talking about this as a team as we were going through for the name of this particular series for cow tipping. Playing on the image of the golden calf, how the Lord wants to tear down these particular idols. But you actually go through, we were talking about it as a team, and it's so funny. I think a lot of people have seen the Pixar movie Cars. Have y'all seen that? And everybody knows what I'm talking about. I see a bunch of heads bobbing in here. We got some Disney heads up in here. And you know, Tomater and Lightning McQueen, they go out in the pasture, right? And they run. And then the cows, they go up. Uh, the tra- tractors in the movie. And they go through and it's tractor tipping. We think, oh, well, yeah, sure. They did a Pixar. You know, all this kind of stuff. Does not happen. You cannot tip a cow. Go look it up on YouTube. Like, there's a bunch of funny stories. A lot of people that have tried come out on the worst for it. But you are not able to be able to tip the cow over in your own strength. And in the same way, you are not able to tear down these idols in your own strength or your moral sweat. You are not able just to pull yourself up by your bootstraps in this endeavor. But rather, we have to combat the lies with the truth. And the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because you see, these idols we can sometimes retroactively give them credit and we look for them to deliver promises in the future. Just like the Israelites did. These are the idols that delivered you and these are the idols that will deliver you. These are the idols that will provided for you and these are the idols that will provide for you. These are the idols that protected you. These are the idols that will protect you. But no. It is only Jesus 
The one who is the truth himself, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And for us, who lived the life that you and I could not live and died the death that you and I should have died. And that now all who turn and trust, repent and believe, put all of their love, all of their trust, all of their obedience towards him. Not to earn anything from him, because he is freely offering it and giving it today. That now when we come to him, we no longer have to worship these idols. We no longer have to look to these other images because the scripture said he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. He is the one that everything, from whom and to whom and through whom are all things. He is worthy of this worship. Only a holy God as we begin this service. Only a holy God. God, He made the exchange. We made an exchange in worshiping the God for worshiping the creation. But He made an exchange as well, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That there was this great exchange that took place, our sin for His righteousness. And the exchange rate was his blood. As we're going through right here, we now have his righteousness. We have received his grace. And now we live into it. Not to earn anything, but to express what has already been given. We have received grace upon grace. And so now we work out our own salvation, as Ben preached for us earlier this semester. We work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Uh, there's a guy named Dallas Willard. He was an incredible thinker, philosopher, uh, University of Southern California. Uh, he died this past decade, but he's written just some I mean, monumental works in thought, uh, Christian spirituality. And he has this quote that I want to be able to share with you. He says that grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. In gra- you can't earn grace. But because of the grace that we have been given, we can now exert effort to live into what has already been gifted to us. So how do we now live? How do we deal with these idols? There are three main moves that I want to be able to give to you. You ID the idol, you tear it down, and you replace it. Okay, so how do we ID the idol? How do we identify the idol? Tim Keller, Presbyterian pastor in New York City, incredible help right here. He has five questions that can help us to identify, diagnostic, to, to, to diagnose what are the idols in our lives. What are your daydreams? When your mind is in neutral, what do you habitually go to for comfort and joy? And I'm not talking about like one or two daydreams. Those are Okay. But what do you continually go to, retreat to, to be able to find peace and the ability to make it through? To what, what do you spend your money on most effortlessly? Maybe we could expand this out in your resources because you're like, a, I'm a college student, bro. I ain't got much money right here. Or I'm a young adult. Like I just got started with a nine to five job. I ain't got a bunch of money right here. Well, what other resources do you have? What do you give your time to most effortlessly? What do you give your attention to most effortlessly? What are your nightmares? 
What are the things, now I'm not talking like when you actually sleep, but like if you said this were to happen, it would be an utter nightmare. That if this was lost, if this was taken away, then I would not be able to function or continue to go on. This might be an idol. What unanswered prayer has embittered you towards God? What have you continued to pray for again and again, but the Lord just doesn't seem to be coming through? That might be illustrating the fact that we are following God to be able to get stuff rather than to actually get Him. And then lastly, where do your uncontrollable emotions show up? And I'm not talking about those that are suffering in the wake of a traumatic experience, those that are dealing with medically diagnosed anxiety, depression. I'm talking about these uncontrollable emotions that we feel to a lesser degree. And Tim Keller, in talking with his wife Kathy, has just an incredible quote, like, pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots and you'll find your idols clinging to them. That when we are to trace back the fear, when we are to trace back the frustration, when we are to trace back the rage, when we are to trace back any and every uncontrollable emotion, we might see our idols dangling from the roots. And so as we're thinking through, what are the most prevalent idols that we see in college students and young adults today? You know, it's about to get uncomfortable. We're about to bring some light to some darkness. And again, I'm just going to illustrate some of these things are bad in and of themselves. But more often than not, a lot of these things are good things that we can make God's. And so as I'm going through and as I'm reading through, as I'm articulating some of these, ask the Lord if anything especially pricks your heart. And where you're able to see, like, I'm not able to enjoy that for what it is, but I've taken that and I've making it a God in my life. And now the Lord is wanting to tear that down. We sometimes have idols related to status or image. The Instagram aesthetic. And posting things so that others can perceive us in having a certain quality of life or having a certain number of friends or engaging in certain activities. A reputation that we have. A particular degree program that you might find yourself in or even a particular school that you're currently in or one that you want to be able to get into for certain prestige or power. The brand names that you're wearing on your particular outfits that you want to make sure that people can see so that they know that where you are in the socioeconomic pecking order. It could be your Greek life. It could be your sorority. It could be your fraternity that you're giving yourself fully to and that is dominating your calendar and your resources it could be knowledge of the intellectual kind you like being the smartest person in the room or it could be the social kind of knowledge that you always want to be the person with the quote you always want to be the person that's the center of attention you always want to be the person that has the funny one-liner that is able to command respect it could be beauty It could be the way that you want to see your body perceived or you want to be able to have people comment in this or that way. It could be, aside from status and image, it could be pleasure or coping. It could be pornography. That you are so longing for connection that you will look for counterfeits in other ways that demand no responsibility from you, but that you can indulge in and gaze at over and over and over again. That is making empty promises. It could be substances that will give you highs or that will numb pain. You could turn to alcohol in ungodly amounts. You could look for comfort. You could idolize comfort. And you would seek to chase this and have it at all costs. It could be entertainment. It could be movies. It could be TV shows. It could be sports. 
It could be video games. It could be any other hobbies that you would want to give yourself to. You can take a good thing and make it a God thing, and that's a bad thing. It could be any hope and security that you're looking for stability. You're looking for a future. It could be politics. You could think that politics is your savior, that as long as we get the right person in office, that we're going to be taken care of. It could be your professional resume. It could be the bullet points that you're getting, the intern experiences that you have, the conversations, the accolades, the awards. It could be your religious resume certain number of youth camps that you've been to, mission trips that you've gone on, pictures with kids that you have, how many hours volunteering and serving that you have, how many songs that you've sung, how many songs that you've written, how many different people are able to see you, Bible drill, Awanas, RAs, GAs, this, that, the other, things that you've gone on that you are adding to your religious resume, your good works that are done apart from faith. It could be good health. That you're moving from the place where, yes, Scripture says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're moving from a temple of the Holy Spirit to your body is your God in the way that you take care of it or in the way that you don't. Then the way that you relentlessly work out or the way that you don't look at all how you are treating the gift that God has given to you. It could be the future, it could be the past, that we are idolizing what came behind or we are idolizing what could come before. It, it could be relationships, and this is where I see it a lot. It could be friendships that you're idolizing, that you are so wrapped up and intertwined with another person. It could be your family, a God-given gift that the Lord has given to us, but it, we can take a good thing and make it a God thing, and that's a bad thing. Your family can even become an idol, or it can be a romantic relationship. It's only natural that the closer you get to another person, the more intense, the more intimate that it becomes, but if it is reaching a level of infatuation that it is crowding out your relationship with God, you no longer have a God-honoring relationship. You have an idol, and the Lord wants to tear it down. This is just a small slice of a list of the most popular ones that I see as I counsel with students, as I'm meeting with young adults, and as I evaluate and look at my own life. We have to call them for what they are. We have to identify the idols, but it's not just enough to identify, but we have to tear them down. Well, how do we tear them down? Well, we have to remove either the presence of the idol or the prominence of the idol. There are some of these idols that you can remove the presence in your life. You can remove it completely. And that's A-OK. -okay. You need to quit cold turkey. But this needs to be removed from your life. But there are some of these that you cannot remove the presence of in your life completely. Your family. You're probably not going to go emancipate yourself tomorrow. Right? You're probably not going to drop out of school. You're probably not going to immediately deactivate from your Greek organization. You're not going to give up food. You are not going to quit your job. You still have a body, right? There are these things that we cannot remove the presence of the idol in our life, but we can remove the prominence of the idol in our lives, but you cannot do this by yourself. Why? Because if you're like me, you're the master justifier. You can say one thing one day and then turn around and you can reevaluate. And then you can figure out a way to be able to get it back to its prior place. This is why we need others to help us in this process. We cannot do this on our own. We have to identify the idols. We have to remove them, either the presence in our lives or the prominence that it has in our lives. And then it's not enough just to remove it. We need to replace it. 
We need to go back to that exchange to reorient the way that we see in the one to whom we worship. We have got to recognize God's rightful place. We've got to love and trust and obey him and him alone. Because you see, you got to serve somebody. And it can be the devil or it can be the Lord, but at the end of the day, you got to serve somebody. So will it, be, will it be idols that take and take and take and that spew promises and deal in counterfeits? Or will it be giving yourself to the one who came for you and me? Who, as Scripture says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we need your help. I need your help, God, to, to identify the idols in my life. The things that are bad that need to be removed, the things that are good that I need to reorient, that I need to remove the prominence in my life, God. It's for those in here that are in the same boat, it's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. We're going to want to go back. But God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and that you would gift us each other, that you would gift us brothers and sisters in Christ who can point us to Jesus, the one who is worthy of all of our worship. God, we want you to be magnified. Not all these lesser things. Not the idols that we could turn to. Not the idols that we could trust in. But you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.